Today is Thursday, August 8th. This is Kirk Kovac with Politics NC, and today we're going to do something a little bit different, and we're bringing back Greg Meyer, who I talked to earlier this year. Greg, how are you? Doing all right. Thanks for coming in early today as well. I know you guys are busy at the General Assembly, might have a vote any day now on the budget, but I don't think there's too much expected today. It's amazing that we're so busy not having a veto override vote. How right, can you be so busy doing nothing? There's always something to do except what you need to, I guess. Right. Um, so in that vein, could you just tell us now the 8th of August, we're I think a month away from where we should be in terms of having a budget. Where do things stand in the General Assembly regarding the budget? Yeah, I mean, we should have had a budget in place by July 1st. Obviously, we don't. Uh, the um, governor's o uh, veto of the uh, Republican conference report budget uh, has not been voted on. The speaker puts the veto on the calendar every day, along with a second bill every day, which is the uh, Republicans' version of Medicaid expansion. And then we don't vote on them because the votes aren't there for the veto. And the speaker says that we're not going to take up the Medicaid expansion bill until the veto has an override. Uh, and so the speaker is kind of holding us hostage, making sure that everybody has to show up every day so that they can't override the veto based on, uh, on absences. Yesterday, 51 out of the 55 Democrats signed a letter um, saying, pledging that we would not vote to override the veto. So that, uh, that means that the Republicans would really need to have, I think it's eight of us be absent in order to, uh, to override the veto. So I see a lot of talk about how some of the Republican legislators are going to conferences, a couple of went to Europe. Do they know internally in their caucus, hey, we're not going to vote on anything, so go ahead and do your trips, but then the Democrats have to cancel things? Or what's the? how are they able to travel, but the Democrats feel sort of handcuffed? Yeah, I mean, they do have the flexibility, right? Because they, they, they can know in advance. We have to show up every day so that they can't take advantage of our absences. But the Republicans have the luxury of being able to miss if they want to or need to. You know, you got at least one member who's actively out there campaigning, Greg Murphy running for a congressional seat, et cetera. So they usually are missing a few people. Um, the I, I think that eventually members of both parties are, are going to tire. I mean, I think the Democrats are already tired. I think the Republicans are going to get sick of this as well, but I don't know that that creates enough pressure on the speaker to let the vote actually happen. Well, since North Carolina doesn't have the same issue as the federal government, we don't have a budget, we don't shut down, right? So things right. can continue. How does that work if it comes to a point where they just don't have a budget? They continue with the previous budget? Is that how that works? So, right. Our, we're currently under a continuation budget from 2018. That budget is just still in place on all of its recurring funds. What's not in place are non-recurring funds. So that would include a lot of grants. Uh, to community agencies, things like that. And then, of course, any other proposed raises that were in the budget or that the governor has proposed in his compromise proposal, uh, those things can't go into effect until a budget is enacted. So there's going to be some pinch points. You know, once school starts back and teachers don't see a bump in their salary, they're, you know, probably going to be a little more angry about what's going on. There are going to be organizations in every community that are going to say, hey, we really need these grant dollars that we depend on state government for, and we're going to have to cut services if we don't have these. So, that, I mean, those things will create some pressure over time, but right now it doesn't seem like there's enough external pressure to, uh, to force people to the negotiating table. 
So to that point, I know a lot of local representatives have written op-eds and different things about how the budget is so important because, you know, each community does have these grants and in some cases you have pork barrel spending that benefits a specific district here or there. Uh, what is it about what's in the budget or what isn't uh, that's so important for Democrats that you were able to get, you know, 51 or however many to say we're going to um, fight this and not just roll over? I mean, the budget negotiations really come down to about three or four issues. Obviously, uh, Medicaid expansion is one of them. The Republicans are trying to say it's the only one of them and, and, and make it all about that, which I don't know. I just can't understand why they're making a bigger fight out of Medicaid expansion. Like that is a losing political argument for them and a horrible deal for the people of North Carolina that they're preventing Medicaid expansion from coming forward. But the other issues include um, whether or not there should be an additional corporate tax cut. They, they have a, a significant corporate tax cut in their version of the budget. Uh, and then, of course, if we had those revenues available from that tax cut, uh, can we actually do better by state employees and teachers and make sure that people get bigger raises or that more state employees are eligible for the proposed raises? Uh, that's what's really in the governor's proposed budget. The, there's also a disagreement over how we should pay for school construction. Um, the Republicans uh, are using uh, what we call the skiff scam. Um, it's essentially a, a pay-as-you-go uh, saying we're going to siphon money out of the state budget every year and use that to pay for school construction. That's money that, uh, that essentially gets taken off the table uh, from, for that we could use for something else like paying for teachers and classrooms. And there's no guarantee that that money would continue in any future budget because the General Assembly cannot bind a future General Assembly to, to spend any specific amount of money. So there's no guarantees in their proposal. The governor uh, and the Democrats and even the House Republicans voted uh, overwhelmingly for a bond proposal earlier this year. So so I think the, the alternative would be that we uh, pay for school construction in the way that we traditionally have with a bond. Uh, and and that would guarantee a certain amount of money for school construction over, say, 10 years. So circling back to Medicaid, because... Uh, even if it may not be the only issue, it definitely is sucking up most of the oxygen in that conversation about uh, the budget veto and how we move forward this year. I have seen a lot online, at least, where I think maybe uh, Senator Jeff Jackson has talked about a lot of Republicans maybe in private conversations uh, support the idea of Medicaid expansion. Do you think the primary concern, and uh, I guess that's uh, a bit purposeful in language because is it they're worried about being primaried if they vote for Medicaid expansion and not looking conservative enough? Is that the only concern for a lot of them, do you think? Or is it something else more ideological that they don't support the idea of more government health care? I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, the Republican Party nationally and in North Carolina has demonstrated that they seem to have some kind of weird aversion to the expansion of healthcare access to people. I mean, I guess they just don't believe that people deserve healthcare unless they meet whatever criteria Republicans think they should meet. I mean, that, that's been their resistance to the Affordable Care Act, and it seems to be the resistance, part of the resistance that's coming here. I think the question about them getting primaried is essentially a political question of if and when they compromise with us on, uh, on Medicaid expansion and we do get a deal, which yeah, I guess the point is like they may actually know that their district would benefit, that people would get health care, there'd be jobs, et cetera. But if and when they do that, do they risk having someone from the far right 
challenged them in a primary because they uh, gave in on Obamacare or whatever the attack would be that would be used against them. I'm, I'm sure that some of them are worried about that because, uh, you know, you're always at risk of being primaried if somebody doesn't like what you do. And it seems like in the Republican Party um, that primaries are being waged from the right, not from the center. So, yeah, I'm sure some of them are worried about that. I mean, you know, so what? Do the right thing, you know, campaign on getting your people health care and jobs. We do have an interesting piece uh, Derek Scott wrote for us, and it's a pretty deep dive into Medicaid expansion for North Carolina that went up today. And I would commend it to anybody who's interested in the subject. Uh, but one thing that really is difficult for me to square, you have so many other states uh, in the United States that have done Medicaid expansion, and it's not limited to trifectas for Democrats. In fact, there are a couple of places where it's Republican governor, legislature, top to bottom, that have done this. And do you think it's because there is no um, political pressure maybe in like a, a very Republican state, like nobody's going to run against me, we're all Republicans, something like that? I just don't understand what's different about North Carolina Republicans that they don't want to expand Medicaid when plenty of others have in other states. Sure. I mean, it's a different dynamic if you have a Republican trifecta like we had the last two legislative sessions. I mean, not that they expanded Medicaid here, but like, actually, I'll compare it to House Bill 2. If everybody agrees, if the House and Senate and governor agrees, we're all going to go in on this idea, then it becomes harder to... to attack you for going in on that idea yeah. unless it's an incredibly bad idea like house bill two right but every, you can get to that point of at we're all in this together and so i think when you've seen republican states expand medicaid that's probably how and why they've done it and realistically right now the republicans don't want to let cooper win um, but they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because if they if they don't negotiate with the governor and with us on medicaid expansion now It'll just continue to be a political issue in 2020, and they lose on that issue every time, and they will lose in 2020. So they're one way or another, they're going to pay a price. I hope that they'll do the right thing and expand Medicaid now. I don't, I don't think Democrats need Medicaid expansion as an issue to win in 2020. I'd rather get that for the people in North Carolina right now and go ahead and campaign on a slew of other issues on which we'll still win. Well, in talking about negotiations, I know a lot... Uh, focuses on having off ramps. There's no reason to have a negotiation if neither side can figure something out. So at what point do you think there is an acceptable off ramp for either party? I mean, what's, what is a compromise that both sides could actually live with? Do you think? Um, I think that, I mean, essentially to go back to what I listed before in terms of what the issues are, you have to work on the revenue side first, right? What are we doing on taxes? And then when you agree on that, you figure out here's what the appropriation numbers are. What are we doing on state employee raises, other appropriations? Uh, I think that after that, you can look at the, the school construction issue and then uh, the, the Medicaid issue uh, actually doesn't have a huge fiscal impact on the budget but does have policy pieces related to the budget, particularly in how we're moving to a managed care model for Medicaid uh, management. And so you, we, we likely would have to have kind of a, a specific negotiation about health care policy. And there may be some trade-offs on health care policy that uh, in exchange for Medicaid expansion, there may be some other health care policy things that need to get negotiated as part of that deal. 
And I think, uh, so for instance, one of the most controversial healthcare things right now is uh, the state treasurer's clear pricing plan proposal, um, which would make hospitals and medical providers take a cut in reimbursement rates. Um, that's a really bad idea right now because it's, it's leading to those re, uh, providers to choose not to participate in the state health plan, and that's going to increase rates or costs of health care for state employees, which is really bad. But if we expanded Medicaid and those same medical providers and hospitals had those Medicaid dollars in their system and were getting paid for right now what they're doing is unreimbursed care, their bottom line would be in the black, not in the red, potentially, and they might be able to afford to cut the rates um, that they're paying or that they're charging the, the, the state health plan. So there are many healthcare things that could get negotiated as part of a holistic uh, healthcare access and affordability package. We just, we need to have those conversations. We should be the bill that's on the floor today should be getting debated today and not put off again like it has been for a month. Well, with the Medicaid expansion, I know they've talked about 90% of that is paid for by the federal government, and then the other 10% would be paid for by some sort of payment by these hospitals. How does that how does that work? I mean, essentially, the deal that the Affordable Care Act offers says that the states have to pay for a 10% share of the cost. And here in North Carolina, what the governor has proposed and is proposing in the Democratic expansion bill is that that 10% cost would come as a rebate from the hospitals and Medicare providers because they would get the vast majority of the 90% of federal dollars. So essentially, they would draw down that federal money for their services and then pay the 10% back to the state so the state could pay its matching share. They're still going to come out ahead, right? I mean, if somebody offered you, uh, if, if it was $100 and somebody offered you 90 said, we'll give you 90 but you got to pay for the other 10 you still come out with $80 in your pocket, you're going to do that. Right, that makes sense to me. So with the Medicaid expansion, I know there's a lot of clear um, upsides to doing it. There's plenty of um, reports and studies that have come out in the past few years, really since uh, it was proposed under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, looking at it objectively, apart from any politics, do you see any downsides to Medicaid expansion? Are there legitimate arguments that you see that carry weight uh, against doing it? No. Okay. Greg Meyer, thank you for coming in today. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully you guys get a vote on the budget someday sooner than later. Thanks for having me, Kirk.